Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Let me explain to you a little bit about how I think church should go. I love church. I um, have loved church for, for, for many years. I think that when you come in here, I make no apologies about the fact that I want you to leave encouraged. I do. I want you to leave encouraged by what you hear. And the reason is, is I think the world can be a very discouraging place. And I think we have every reason to celebrate. We have a Savior that cares about us, that walks us through life, that helps us through hard times. We have a God in heaven who cares so greatly for us. So I think that that's something that we should celebrate. And so I want people to be encouraged. So I preach very comfortably. I'm happy to preach about the grace of God at work in your life. If you're here on a regular basis, you would know that one of the things that I speak about is identity. Because I figure if you can get that identity thing down pat, meaning to say that your identity is found in Christ and not in how much money you make or the job that you've got or none of the accolades or anything that you can accumulate in life, I feel like you're going to do better. So I always like to speak about the power of God at work in your life because I believe that God can take your life and do something significant with it. Now, I meet a lot of people who really, if you get down to it, they don't feel like that's true. They feel like, actually, uh, what could God do with me? And I've been there too. But I realize something about God that He specializes in this. He's an amazing God. He takes people that don't feel like they've got much to offer, and He does something miraculous with them, and He turns it into a situation where they have everything to offer. So I like to preach about the grace of God. And having said that, I'll say this. If we only preach about the grace of God and we never Never balance that with truth, I feel like we've overcorrected. I feel like we might swing too far in one direction. And I love speaking about grace. I love speaking about the grace of God, but I think that we have to recognize that sometimes truth is involved, and the truth is, is that sometimes God has expectations of us. I want to preach about that today. I'm going to preach a message to you. What's the point? Let's bring up that first scripture. Let me read for you. This is out of Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 7. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds, their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Say life and peace. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. I'm so glad that we're all here. I pray that today you speak to us through your word. Lord, we do ask, as we always say, for a spirit of revelation, because God, we want to see with unveiled eyes today. Lord, we want to hear what your word has to say to us. So God, would you, as we break your word down, would you please help us to see this clearly I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, to set your mind, I really think that means to focus. Say focus. To set your mind means that you begin to focus on something. And when you focus on something, you're intentional about it. You're intentional about where you look. You're intentional about your actions. You're intentional about your behaviors. And the interesting thing 
is that oftentimes where you look and what you begin to think about and what you contemplate in your mind can oftentimes come out in your actions. And if you repeat that action long enough, it becomes your behavior. And so really what you focus on in life is really important. The word that we read this morning, flesh, that actually means your human nature apart from God's influence on you, which is prone to sin and opposed to God. That's what that means. It means your nature apart from God's influence that is prone to sin and opposed to God. Now, many of you may have just learned this for the first time this morning, which is that naturally your inclination is not to serve God. That naturally your inclination is probably to go in the other direction. I wanted to break this down for you in a way that you would really understand so easily. So I have taken it upon myself to rewrite the Bible this morning. And we have the, the BSV. It's the Ben Standard Version. All right, it's a little bit longer. All right, this is the, you can see the reference down the bottom. This will be available in our bookstore in about 30 years. It says, for those who live according to the way that they want without God's influence in their life, set their minds, which is to say, your will, intellect, emotion, goals, and plans on wrong desires. But those who live according to the Spirit, that's His influence on your life, including His goals and His plans, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the wrong desires is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Does that make sense? I'm so glad. This version's off to a good start already. I've only got a few verses done now. See, the thing about this is we've got to understand about how our minds work, all right? We've got to understand these things. I, th I think this is, this is really going to help someone today. You know, the very first people on the planet, uh, Adam and Eve, even these guys got it wrong. And they were when they were created, they were created in God's likeness and just to serve God. And so God creates them. He, he puts them in the garden. And you know the story, right? He puts them in the garden and he says, you can eat anything, but don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so he puts that tree in the middle of the garden. And we know the rest of the story, right? Adam and Eve, they're hanging out by the tree. Now, let me just stop you right now and, and, and say this. Why are they hanging out by the tree? Why are they there in the first place? I think that if they were smart, Adam would have said to Eve, hey, babe, I know that tree is bad news. So let's draw like a, 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 a 100 meter radius about it. And if we ever cross that boundary, we're still going to be okay. But let's, let's never go near that. But they're so close to it. So they're hanging out by the tree. And then what happens next is that the, the, the serpent speaks to them. Let me stop again. If a serpent ever speaks to you, you just know that that's bad news, right? All right, so never listen to the serpent when it speaks to you. So he says, hey, guys. And he says, hey, why don't you taste the fruit? You know the rest of the story. They tasted the fruit. They ate it. Now, I can't help but think that if they had the right boundaries in life, that they probably wouldn't even have seen the fruit. They wouldn't even be close enough to actually look at it. It would be too far to see. 
Servant says, hey, why don't you go check out that tree in the middle of the garden? He has to start out wide because they're too far to actually see the fruit. They're like, nah, it's cool. I've got time. But he's ha- they're hanging out by the tree. And so they take the fruit and they eat it. Have you heard bad corrupt company corrupts good morals? Paul the Apostle wrote that. Bad company is a serpent that speaks to you, all right? So you know that now. So don't ever, when the enemy starts speaking to you, you got to know that's bad company. It's going to lead you down the wrong path. Let me show you how easy it is, because this is what happened to Adam and Eve, to draw your focus this morning. All right? I'm going to do a little exercise. I've done this before. I'm going to do it again this morning. This is how easy it is to draw your focus. I do not want you to think. You ready for this? Do not think about coffee. I don't want you to think about a long black, short Mac. I don't want you to think about a cap, no soy latte. Don't think about that. Who's thinking about coffee? Come on. I know some of you got your hands down. You're lying. We'll deal with that later. Don't think about coffee. Some of you are thinking, boy, I wonder when this thing's going to finish. Well, I just started, right? But I wonder when this thing's going to finish. You're thinking about lunch. You're thinking about hamburger. Don't think, ah, uh huh. Don't think about lunch. Don't think about that hamburger. Do you know last week I, I preached this message and I, 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 I talked about people that are oversharers in your life. I don't know if you're here for that. I said, a person who shares something with you is that they tell you that they have a rash. An oversharer tries to show you where it is on their body. All right, that's an oversharer, right? Don't think about the rash this morning. Because I had so many people say, oh my gosh, you have no idea. It's like you're talking to me. I know people that keep trying to show me stuff. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Don't think about those things. Now, here's the crazy part. I know that when I begin to speak about those things, that's exactly what you think about. Because I'm talking about it. It's almost impossible to hear what someone's speaking about and not begin to imagine it. Now, I want to tell you something. That's real important, which is that the devil wants to draw your focus to all the wrong stuff all the time. And you know why? Because focus leads to behavior. And he knows that. So he's always trying to draw people's minds into the wrong stuff. This is how he does it. The devil will draw your mind into the wrong thing. And afterwards, when you feel bad for thinking about it, maybe even acting on it, he'll make you feel guilty about it. And he does what's called, he condemns you. And he begins to make you feel bad about the thing that he planted in your mind in the first place. And you know why he does it? Because it works. Because it's been working for thousands of years. No one made Adam and Eve eat that fruit. No one forced them. He just planted a seed and kept watering it until their thoughts became their uh, actions and it affected their lives in a significant way. And that happens to people all the time. And I'll tell you why I say all of this, because you might be thinking, what's the point? Well, my point is, if you want to live a better life, start to be intentional about what you focus on. If you want to live a better life, start to think about what you're focused on. Start to really think about it. What are the things that are drawing your focus? What are the things that are taking you down the wrong path? What's my point? My point is is that you can't follow Jesus by avoiding sin. 
Now, this is how people will do it sometimes. They'll avoid sin, and they think that's called being a Christian. When you're a Christian, all you do is try to stick away from all the stuff that's bad and that's wrong. And that's a terrible way to approach being a Christian. You try to, if, if you're always thinking about what to avoid, what's on your mind? The very thing you're trying to avoid. So what can't you stop thinking about? The very thing you're trying to avoid. And it's on your mind. And my suggestion to you is this. If you want to do a better job of avoiding sin, stop avoiding sin and start going after your Savior. Because you would be far better off spending that time thinking about Jesus than you would be spending that time being focused on what not to do. Now, I'll give you an example. I'll give you this example. I want to be pretty honest with you this morning because I know that sometimes people struggle with this stuff. Imagine a guy that's sitting at home all day and he's thinking, man, don't go to the internet. Don't start looking up pornography and stuff. Like, I'm not going to look at that stuff, you know. And so this is what he does to stop himself from doing it. Don't think about going to the internet. Don't think about going to the internet. Don't think about going to the internet. What's he thinking about? Going to the internet. What's he thinking about? He's thinking about turning the internet on. Now, what would be a better idea? Is if he said, okay, I'm, I'm not going to not think about going to the internet. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get with Jesus for a minute and I'm just going to start to pray and praise. I'm going to turn on some worship music. I'm going to listen to that. I'm going to read the Bible. And after I've done all that, I'll see if I still feel like going and looking at the internet. Do you see the difference? Now, I'm not foolish enough to say that, oh, that's cool. If you've got issues in your life, just go to Jesus and all your problems will be solved and everything will be okay. It's not the silver bullet, but I tell you what, you are so much better off spending time with Jesus than trying to avoid your sins. That's my point. What's my point? My point is, is you got to start to take responsibility for your focus. Start to take responsibility for what you're looking at. Start to take responsibility for your actions, your behaviors. It's affecting your decisions. It's affecting your life. And I reckon the best way that you could possibly do that is to make a plan. Have a plan. How would Adam and Eve have done if they had a plan? If they set some boundaries, some limitations. Do you have boundaries in your life that you know you shouldn't cross? Do you have environments that you know you shouldn't go to because they're not helpful for you? I'll tell you one right now. I don't like going to nightclubs. There's nothing for me there. I'm married happily. I have three kids. i got no reason to be there. And every time I walk in, I don't even know where I can look. <laughs> so I'm like, well, don't go. I mean, I'm not a genius, right? I mean, you already all know that. I just realize that there's something that comes with that environment. So what do I do? I'm going to set some boundaries. I, I mean, if I have to be there for some reason, I can't imagine possibly why I'd need to be there. Okay, but I tell you what, I'm setting boundaries. I just know that there are some environments I shouldn't go. So what do I do is I set up safe zones in my life. Safe zones. Now, this is what happens, right? You'll understand this if you have children. If you, if you know where the safe zone is, your kids, they want to play on the edge of the safe zone. Let's bring up that first slide. There is the danger and, and the boundary is right next to it. 
this is the boundary. Here's the danger. And the kids will play right here. They say, Dad, it's okay. I'm still in the safe zone. I say, yeah, but what if you fall? Man, you got to fall over the other side. So here's what I think. I think the smartest way to do this is to shift the boundary well back from where the danger is. Can we go to the next slide? All right. Hey, that's a smart idea, isn't it? So the danger is here, but my boundary is all the way back here. Now, if I still screw up, I land just inside the safe zone, right? But what happens if my boundary is right next to the danger? What happens to me? You got to start thinking about safe zones. You got to start thinking about boundaries and where you place them in your life. If you're a parent, you will get this so well. I already told this story one time, but I'll tell it again. It's a good one. So I went for a walk one day with my kids. And uh, I said to them, all right, guys, well, we're going to go for a walk and don't go on the road. Don't walk on the road. They said, okay. And they want to run ahead, so no problem. And I get around the corner and I see my son standing to me what looks like it's on the road. And I see a, a car go right past him. Kind of freaks me out. So I yell at him and I say, Isaac. It's always Isaac. <laughs> I say, Judah's normally come back and told me that he's on the road. That's how that works. <laughs> and then he tells me that he didn't do it. But Isaac did. Anyway. So I come out and I say, Isaac, what are you doing on the road? He said, what are you talking about? I'm not on the road. I said, yes, you are. He says, no, Dad, look again. The road's black. I'm standing on the concrete. I'm in the gutter. And what do I say? I thought that my instructions were solid and sound. I thought that I created a safe boundary for my son to focus on. And I realized that my instructions were inadequate. So I said, new safe zone, footpath, not even, you're not even on the nature strip, you're on the footpath. And now you walk within a 10 feet radius of me. So what did I do? I learned something from my experience and it caused a change in me because I saw danger in a new way that I didn't notice before. And it made me shift the boundaries of the safe zone all the way back. Because I know that if my son steps onto the grass, if he steps onto the nature strip, he's still going to be alive if a car drives past. Uh, that kind of just makes sense to me. What's my point to you? If you're standing in the gutter, you've missed the point. If you're standing on the edge of what's dangerous in your life right now, you've missed the point. You haven't learned this principle. You are drawing the boundaries so close to an area where you could fall off. And if you do, you could make a monumental mistake, one that will just keep going on in your life. I'm like, what is the idea here? You know, imagine this. Imagine if I said to Isaac, get out of the gutter. And he turned around and he says to me, Dad, if I get hit by a car, it's okay because God can raise me up. I would say that is the craziest thing you've, close to the craziest thing you've ever said. <laughs> I just thought about a couple of other things he said. 
I said, that's close to the craziest thing you've ever said. And I don't want to see you do that. You stay within the safe zones. And when I say that, you say, that's a crazy idea. What kind of kid would play near danger with the idea or the concept? It's cool. It's okay because God can just raise me up. And then you realize that that's how people live their life. And you know what they call it? They call it grace. It's okay. God can raise me up. I'm going to play in the gutter of life right next to the boundary, right next to the edge. And if I get hit by this danger, it's okay. God can raise me up. If you live your life eating the fruit, you've got to understand that there's going to be some consequences that are attached to that. What are the kind of mistakes that you could make where you could start to live in the gutter? You broke up with your partner because they were leading you the wrong way your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and then you start to get lonely and insecure because your identity is not found in your Savior, so you text your ex. I mean, that's, that's shifting a, a, a boundary. I don't, I don't feel like that's a, a great idea right there. Well, how about this? You work back late because there's a colleague at your work that you're attracted to, and so you can start pulling a lot of hours and you find a really great way to justify it, but really it's just a pathway to an affair. Now, you're not, you haven't done anything wrong, but you just, you're right on the edge. You, you, you know, you, you're, you're thinking about making an investment. You say, this is all the money that we have to make an investment. We don't have any more money than this. And you agree, but you get caught up in the excitement, and the profitability of investing and so you go and invest way more than you said you ever would. You've crossed your own boundaries because you were playing on the edge as it was. You can't go around being a dishonest businessman and say, it's okay. It's grace. God's got this. It's fine. You can't cheat on your taxes and say, it's okay. It's only a white lie. No one does that much dry cleaning. It's okay. It's grace. Grace has got this. It's covered it. You can't lie and say grace. You can't have unforgiveness in your heart this morning and sit in church and go, it's cool. There's grace for that. Hey, let me tell you something. You better learn what God says about unforgiveness. You expect grace to be coming and just pouring into your life. Well, hang on. Do you really know what the Bible says about if you hold unforgiveness towards people, do you understand that God says He'll hold unforgiveness towards you? Or do you just presume on the grace that He's going to give? You can't intentionally form a habit and habitually be okay with the wrong things that you do. You can't keep looking at porn and other things and going, it's okay, it's cool because God's got this, it's grace. It's almost like mm, you're trying to take advantage of God's grace. Almost. I don't want anyone to feel shame or guilt this morning, but... Come on, I mean, this is what the Bible says. You know, one of my favorite verses is that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ because there's no condemnation. Let me explain this to you. If you are messing up your life right now and making mistakes, guess what? There's grace for that. There is. There's no condemnation. You've been forgiven. You are utterly saved, completely saved. God's at work in your life. It's all good. I'm just saying that you can't get comfortable with playing on the edge and crossing boundaries in your own life and going, it's cool, God's got this. What are you doing? You, well, you're starting to presume on His kindness. In fact, why don't we go to the next scripture? 
Do you presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Where should God's kindness lead you? Where should God's kindness lead you? Right? So repentance, just so you know, it's like one of those real Christian words. It literally just means that you just change direction. So I was headed this way and I heard the voice of my Savior call me and now I'm going to head in the other direction. Why? Because this way was where I'm prone to go. This is my own human. You know, what I want to do is over this way. And then if I head back this way, this is the way that God is calling me. Repentance just means to change direction. So kindness is meant to lead to repentance. And I'm like, who wrote that? I was like, Paul the Apostle. Yeah, that's right. He didn't have kids, did he? No, seriously. Like I'm reading this. I go, really? Kindness is meant to lead to repentance? I find discipline works a whole heap better, to be honest. Yeah. You know, imagine if I just keep winning my kids over with kindness. They're never going to listen to me. I'm thinking about this critically and I'm going, really? (laughs) Is that what it is? Like, doesn't punishment lead to repentance? That makes more sense to me, right? Because I realize I don't really think like Jesus. I don't think like God quite yet. I'm always trying to get my mind to wrap around his scriptures because he says that it's kindness that leads to repentance. I'm like, I feel like you're wrong, God, but okay. I think punishment works better. And then I remembered something. I remember something that actually completely changed my mind. I remember what grace actually means. I remember that grace, it actually doesn't mean that you get let off the hook. Because if that's what you think grace is, you made a mistake. Grace doesn't mean you get let off the hook. Now someone paid the penalty for your sins. Someone paid the price for your salvation. It's not that you get let off. It's that the penalty has already been paid. And when you start to focus on Jesus, when I start to focus on Jesus, I realize how narrowly I missed punishment. That what happened to Him, that's what I deserved. So grace is not getting let off scot-free because if grace is just godless letting people off, well, then that means that God is unjust and I can't figure Him out. Is this a day when you're okay with me? Will you let me off today? No, because God is righteous. So I think, oh, hang on, wait a minute. No, no, Jesus made a way. What happened to Him should have happened to me and I realized that I'm saved by grace through what? through faith in Christ. So it's only my faith in Him that actually means that I have that grace in my life. Man, I I was one time, I was with my son, we were down at um, Judah and Isaac and we were down at Sorrento and we're just climbing around on the rocks there and some of them are a lot bigger than others. And so, you know, Judah said to me, hey dad, do you mind if I climb up this rock and, you know, like your heart is beating the whole time they do it, but you don't want to be a controlling parent. So you're like, yeah, just be careful. As long as he stays in the middle, he's going to be safe. But he's a kid, right? So where does he play? On the edge. So I'm walking with Isaac and I see Judah and he calls out to get my attention. And I look back at him and right as I look back at him, I see him stumble. Now he's, you know, 
maybe about eight or nine feet high. And right below him are some very sharp and jagged rocks right below him. And so I look at him and as he begins to fall, I watch him roll backwards off this rock. And I see him and I start moving as fast as I can to catch him before he plummets and smashes his face into those rocks and I can see it all playing out and I start to move as fast as I can. I was never going to be fast enough to stop that from happening. And I watch as he falls face first and he starts to fall down and the most amazing thing happens. I should have taken a photo of this because you're probably not gonna believe me, but a rock, unlike all the others that were sharp and jagged, that was smooth, and shaped exactly like an arm was out of the rock like this. It had almost like a fist and then it went like a circle like this and it was just out like that. And as he began to fall, this rock, I'm not making this up, this rock catches him as he's falling. Now I'm looking at my son and I'm totally freaked out. And he is face first, completely vertical, only being held by this rock that's holding onto his shoulder because it fell right into the crevice of his shoulder. He could have fallen anywhere, but he fell right there. And so I get him and I grab him and I pick him up and I put him down and I'm like, something's got to be wrong with him. I'm lifting up his shirt and I'm spinning him around and I'm looking for cuts and I'm like, it's, it, it's impossible to me that my son could be okay after what I just watched. And I turn around and he, he had like a, a couple of small grazes and that was it. I couldn't believe it. I thought that's what grace is like. So now that I've seen that great grace at work in my son's life, did I send him back up to play on the edge of the cliff again? No, no way. You better believe I drew a safe distance around all the rocks. Well, you play on the sand. No rocks. Because I redrew the boundaries based on what I saw. I had an experience that pulled me back from what I saw. And I said, look at what could have happened and look at what didn't happen. Man, that's what grace is supposed to work like. Can I go to the next scripture, please? It says, For the grace of God has appeared in Jesus, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in the present age. It says that it's bringing salvation for all people. The grace has appeared. What is grace supposed to do? Grace is supposed to train us to renounce ungodliness. That's what grace is supposed to do. That's the way it's supposed to actually work. You see, when we look at our Saviour, when we see Jesus, when we see what happened to Him and we realise that should have happened to us, doesn't that then, when we realise the grace that's on our lives, suddenly make us redraw the boundaries and the safe zones in our life and say, man, I shouldn't be playing so close to the edge expecting that grace will catch me like the arm of that rock. I shouldn't be expecting that and living so close to the edge. I should be well back from the edge, living like a little bit safer. You want to know what my point is? My point is that grace is not provision to keep sinning. It's provision for righteous living. That's my point. That's the point. That's the point of grace. 
is that grace doesn't exist. What did Paul say? He says, should I sin so that grace may abound? Should I just, in, any way, in other words, should I just keep doing the wrong thing over and over again, going, it's cool, grace has got it, it's okay, God will cover me? Shouldn't I, when I have an encounter with grace, at some point draw back the lines and say, wow, I'm so thankful that you saved me. And because of what I saw could happen to me, and by your grace is never going to happen to me, I'm going to draw back the boundaries a little bit safer. I'm going to live like grace is supposed to work in my life. Grace is supposed to enable you to live a righteous life. Not so that you can keep messing up and going, it's okay, God's all right with it. Now, let me tell you something. If you're messing up in your life right now, grace absolutely will cover all of your sin. I just don't want you to get comfortable with it. Does that make sense? So you got to have a focus. you got to have a goal. I think you should always have a goal in everything, in life. You've got to have a goal. I thought, well, what would be a good goal for everyone here today? Well, when I read the Bible, there are qualifications for people that want to be overseers of churches. Now, not everyone here wants to be an overseer of a church. I understand that. But really, they're saying this is the qualifications. If you wanted to do something like that, I thought it made a pretty good goal. So I want to look at that. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife or a one woman man or whatever. No, I really mean that. Like sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard. Some, some passages actually translate that say it's not given to wine, not given to wine. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. I think about that and I think, wow, above reproach. <laughs> really? Above reproach? And that's not what people can find on you. That's what you have on you. Do you live above reproach? You got secret vices in your life? Things going on in here, no one knows about. You didn't even tell your spouse about it because you're afraid of how you might look if anyone knew the truth. You're really above reproach. All the areas of your life, wow, what a challenge. He says, not given to wine. I'm just going to take a couple of these points. Not given to wine. Let me say this. I think there's no problem having a wine, but if you're given to it, that's a whole new issue. Yeah, it's a whole new issue. Okay, so maybe you're not given to wine, but what are you given to? What's the, what's the thing that's in your life right now that you're given to? What's the thing that helps you to cope, that helps you to get through? I read an article this week, and it was written really to pastors. I identified marginally with this. It said, hey, you know when you just you have your plan for your week and you start to get a bit busy, but you're not getting much sleep, so you increase the coffee so that you can be awake and keep doing your job. And then you th said you were going to have a healthy diet, but you didn't have time to make your lunch because you were too busy, maybe had a morning meeting or something, so you just grabbed some takeaway. They said, when you start drinking a lot of coffee and having a lot of takeaway, you're not doing really what you want to do. You're actually finding ways to cope. It's called self-medicating. You'd be surprised how people medicate to get through in life, what vices they have that help them to get through the next day that just gives them that next momentary high only to come down and crash hard again and ask God for grace and go through the whole process all over again. It's, it's really a downward spiral. You just keep going down until you feel like you hit rock bottom. 
He said, do you rule your household well? Please don't come to mind. Our house is a mess. It's crazy. My kids, sometimes they don't listen to me. I'm like, oh, I feel a little bit convicted about this. But I tell you one thing about our kids is that they love their parents. They love their family. They love Jesus. They pray. They, they, they love each other. I mean, we can't get everything right. But I think when it says rule your household well, it's like you're leading people towards a lifestyle that's leading them towards Christ. Do you lead your household well? Do you lead the charge? Are you doing it? And, and I look at these and I think, man, how would you know whether you're doing this well? Have a goal, have a vision, set some boundaries. When you cross a line, you said you'd never cross, you know, if you set it in a safe zone in your life, even if you make a mistake, you can still come back from there. Don't play on the edge of danger. It just makes sense to me. And I, look, I'll tell you the truth. I see people me, being in the position that I'm in. I see people cross lines I would never cross. All the time. Not everyone asks for advice, so I don't always give it. You gotta have permission to do that. I don't presume on that. So I see people crossing lines I would never cross, making mistakes that I think, boy, you could have avoided that. I would never do that. And you know, when I see people make mistakes, when I see that happen, you know what I think? I love them. I do, I love them, and I say, it's such a shame that you're making that because I don't know if you realize the mistake that you're making right now, but do you realize this could mess up what God wants to do with your future? When I see that, I understand in judgment and say, oh, I can't believe you. I don't say that stuff. I, I get I, It breaks my heart because I look at people and I go, oh my gosh, if you only knew what God could do with your life, if you stop making provision for sin, if you kept being okay and kept saying, grace has got it, grace has got it. And if you just took control of your life a little bit more and said, I'm setting some boundaries, I'm not going to cross. I'm going to live in my way. I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to keep going after Him. And, and I think, man, did you, do you realize that if you keep crossing the boundaries and the borders, if you keep violating your conscience, you do realize that you're going to mess up God's calling on your life because you're going to head in another direction. But God's kindness, His grace is actually meant to call us to repentance. So when He's kind to you, when you receive grace for what you've done, you know what you should do? You should say, thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me. And I'm now changing my life because I see when I look at you, what could have happened to me and didn't. Because you paid the penalty for my sins. I don't have to pay that penalty anymore. And I'm changed by your kindness. Please walk away with this understanding today that God doesn't expect perfection. But you know what He does want? He wants a life that recognises that you're saved by grace and a life that doesn't take advantage of it. And a life that says, thank you, Jesus. And now I'm changing because of what I've seen. I'm changing because I'm not going to just keep being okay with this anymore. God's grace exists. Not so you can keep sinning, but it's provision for righteous living. Why we stand to our feet together. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.